Hello and welcome to the Knowledge Without College podcast. This is your host, Patrick Butler. And today I have a very fascinating conversation to share with you. I just spoke with Tony Moss. He is a visual and recording artist. He's an event producer and he really combines a number of fascinating topics in his work, including, you know, art, spirituality, science, and the evolution of human consciousness. Uh, it was a very wide reaching conversation sort of circling around many of the events of today and uh, some of the causes of the, really the mental health situation in the United States today. I had a really great time talking to Tony. I could have talked to him all day, so I'm sure there'll be a part two eventually. And with that, I'll let you begin. So please, without further delay, enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Tony Moss. Hey, Tony, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a real honor to have you on the show. Thank you. So for the audience out there who maybe is not totally familiar with your work just yet, would you mind telling them a little bit about your story and uh, how you got to this place you're at today? Yeah, so I am uh, predominantly known as a uh, musician and an event producer. And the music that I'm known for is a relatively new genre of music called medicine music. And that's music that is either born out of or intended for use uh, in ceremony. But these days that would be like psychospiritual like, and therapeutic work with either plant medicines or psychedelics. And with that, I am uh, very well known as a very uh, enthusiastic advocate for the decriminalization of all plant medicines. Yeah. Excellent. Where, where did that, how did this all begin for you? At what age, what, what sort of sparked this direction in your, in your life? Yeah, so I, uh, a few things converged for me. I was definitely not a, um, well, I'll just say I wasn't exposed to the world of psychedelics or any kind of drug use at all growing up. Um, I was, probably like 30 before I got introduced even to the concept, right, of uh, what we then called drugs uh, for psychotherapeutic use. And um, I, with that, started studying, you know, their traditional context, which was like uh, ceremonial use, shamanic use, and just became really fascinated with that. Simultaneously, at the time, I was uh, an activist, you know, in the sense of like looking at... Uh, issues that were challenging the country and the world and wanting to be involved. You know, um, this all happened around the first uh, Iraqi war, right? uh, these things converging. And what happened was I started to realize through my own kind of very early personal spiritual work that although protesting and all forms of advocacy for, you know, progressive or well, I would, I would say progressive causes, not as a progressive, but causes that were 
on either side of the political spectrum that were progressive in the sense that they were new and there was a group of people wanting to push them through, right? So I realized that although all of those things were important, it was all about consciousness, that the actual first line of defense, so to speak, was going to be elevating consciousness, you know, in our country and in the world, and really for the species. And that's what uh, work with ayahuasca, which was the predominant plant medicine I was exposed to, was really, really good at doing, right? So I remember thinking like, I am going to now completely um, align myself with the evolution of human consciousness and everything that involves, everything from neurobiology to plant medicine, shamanic use, all the ways that we can begin to heal the Western psyche, right? And to kind of reconnect ourselves with nature. Um, so that's pretty much it. That that was now, my goodness, 27 years ago. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's that's quite remarkable, especially in this space. You know, we've seen over the past few years since maybe 2015 onward, you know, there's been sort of a growing, more of a mainstream popularity in, in this realm. And so, yeah. you know, to be going back that far is certainly, uh, you know, I'd still consider you a, a pioneer of the space, you know. Yeah, you know, and it, it's relatively true. Um, back when I was introduced to ayahuasca, for instance, um, and for any of your listeners that don't know, they probably all do. Ayahuasca is a, a tea, it's a plant medicine from South America, a combination of two plants that has an active ingredient of DMT. And it has been used, as far as we know, for thousands of years um, for, in ceremonial and medicinal like settings, right, for healing people. Uh, both physically and we'll say spiritually. Um, and it's gaining in popularity really rapidly all around the world, but particularly here in the US apparently as part of what's being called the psychedelic renaissance. Um, so uh, addressing what you just stated, you know, back when I was starting, I didn't even know what it was. A friend came into a coffee house that I owned at the time and said, hey, there's gonna be an ayahuasca ceremony this weekend. Would you like to join? And like everybody at that time, I said, I what? <laughs> and uh, he described it and, you know, I thought, yeah, I was in this really completely new, like, kind of renaissance of my own life of wanting to um, break a lot of the barriers of my own consciousness around my ideas about the world, really. So long story short, I said yes, uh, hated the ceremony, but that was 27 years ago. And, uh, you know, it was life changing, obviously. Well, what did you hate about the ceremony? Well, so I was one of those unique people that had no prior psychedelic or um, altered reality-like experiences. The most I had done up to that point was smoke ganja like everybody else of my generation, relatively speaking. Um, so I went just really with the spirit of you know adventure and exploration. I wasn't prepared for the altered state of consciousness, the uncomfort that comes with self-examination, which I didn't have language for at the time, and with the visionary state. You know, like there was a moment in that ceremony when I remember I was crying and friends thought that I was crying because I was having this deep revelatory, you know, <laughs> experience. And the reality was I was crying because the, the mental chatter I was experiencing at the time was, my mother warned me not to do drugs. Now I'm crazy and I will be on the street in Venice Peach <laughs> with all the other crazies. <laughs> you know, um, but here's the thing. Um, although the experience was unpleasant, 
what happened was within a few days of it, I started noticing that there was a quantifiable absolute shift in my consciousness in terms of how I was experiencing reality in a good way, right? So I remember thinking, well, maybe there is something to this. So I went back for two or three more and the rest was history. Yeah. Wow. And by the way, you know, um, one of the reasons I uh, said yes to your initial request about the podcast was I was one of those people who made a conscious choice not to go to college. Right? Incredible. And the, yeah. And the reason was that I was very interested in uh, art and music and theater. And um, I kept entering college and I kept getting jobs. Right? Like I'd, in, I'd enroll in school, go through the whole process. And then something would come up and eventually a friend said, dude, why do you keep trying to go to college? Like you're doing what you want to do, right? And uh, there was just a lot of this pressure, right? From our society at the time. Like, I don't want to be this has been, you know, maybe I'll work for five or six years professionally as an artist and then I'll be sorry I didn't get an education. Um, so it was one of the best decisions I ever made for this reason, uh, because I realized in my choice not to go to college that I would have to be self-taught, that my higher education would come from my own volition. So I taught myself how to pursue things that I was interested in and educate myself on them, right? Um, Which is invaluable, you know, it's critical. I, I, I can yeah. say that I share a very similar thing. You know, the decision to not go to college is, is also a decision to commit to like sort of professional self-education and being able to, you know, take that part of your life seriously. And uh, I think for a lot of people, they're used to being told what to learn, when to learn it, you know, do the essays, do the reports on time. Uh, and it's a big and, change. And to spend a lot of time in learning compulsory things that you're not interested in. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So being able to take that shift towards, I'm going to commit time and energy into the things that I'm interested in. And also I'm going to do that, even though nobody's telling you what to do. Nobody's telling you to spend that time there. Nobody's telling you to, when the reading needs to be finished or anything, but to take that, uh, take that on in your life as a serious thing is a pretty big shift. Yeah. You know, and I, around that time, I remember, I don't remember the context now as long been forgotten, but I was watching some program and it was a, all I remember was that it was a Republican and her being Republican wasn't uh, the, the context for this being important. She was speaking about education and she was challenging higher education and she made some off the cuff comment, something to the effect of, it was like a Latino something, something studies, right? And then she made this really sarcastic comment and said, oh, that'll get you a job. Like, degrading like why that would even be offered. And I remember thinking like, this woman completely is missing the point. The role of higher education has never been to get a job, right? Higher education was for, you know, the evolution of the self and, you know, um, the evolution of our species, really, if you think about it, you know, it's to constantly raise the quality of culture, right? And sometimes, yes, it also plays into the kind of work that you do. What she was talking about was like a trade school, which is fabulous, right? You know? Sure, yeah. And I'm, yeah, so I remember thinking a lot about that, you know, like, you know, what happened to higher education being something that you pursued as just quality of life and to betterment of society, right? Sure. Yeah, so it, it reinforced my choice to pursue what I wanted to do, to make a difference in the world through art and also to take on the responsibility of 
education, not only because I love learning, which you know clearly you do too, but also because I saw, yeah, my contribution to society, culture will be my wisdom and knowledge gained through both experience and through self-education. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the timing of technology also plays a, a big role in what you just mentioned there with, as far as like the reason why education has sort of strayed from its initial purposes. Like when you look back in human history and civilization, the reason for an educational institution was because knowledge was scarce. Uh, you know, there, you didn't have books everywhere. There whether books or scrolls or educated people is scarce and uh, to concentrate them in one place made the biggest difference in letting that grow and uh, you know, foster sort of an environment where people are focused on education, expanding beyond what might be needed for survival. Whereas today it's like the, those institutions that have access, accessibility to information and knowledge is so widespread. It's in each one of our pockets and our smartphones on our computers. And that gives everybody the outlet uh, to share their information, share their knowledge. And I think that's, you know, sort of what I'm observing from what you're telling me about your story is the internet also made it sort of the lifestyle of an artist. Probably it's it's the renaissance for individual artists right now more than ever before. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting because uh, your your listeners can't see, but you've got what Elon Musk behind you there. Absolutely. Right? Yes, sir. And, uh, you know, he's talked about this a lot, which I completely agree with. It's like incredibly brilliant people did not need a college education to make incredibly brilliant contributions. Right. Uh, Joseph Campbell said, you know, famously uh, to follow your bliss. And he was absolutely yes. right. And that's been misinterpreted a lot. People have, uh, there's this age, you know, that we're in uh, this kind of narcissism, particularly in the West and self-aggrandizement, you know, through social media and celebrity culture and all of that, there is a huge percentage of our population that is obsessed with attention and the self. And I, so any of this concept of self-care, it's all about the self. And one of the things we've lost in the West, a lot of people have commented on, it's not just my own observation, is this sense of uh, being a member of tribe, member of culture, member of society, right? And um, I think, you know, again, going back to this idea of education, what Elon was talking about, it's like, yes, of course, we need to make contributions, right? Um, but the model and the idea that that has to be controlled top down, right? And also put you into debt. Right? Sure. And the idea that you will give away so much of your life force to learning a lot of things you don't understand just so you can get a degree and come out into a world that is dramatically changed and no longer really needs that archaic kind of education. So you brought up technology and Elon is a perfect segue, you know. Yeah, it was incredibly empowering that around the time I decided to do this, the internet was starting to boom and you could pretty much learn whatever you needed to by just paying attention, right? And having the uh, discipline and willpower to go find what it was that you needed, right? Yeah, so I think young people today are in a brave new world of yes, pursue higher education if that in and of itself is what would be satisfying to you, right? Or if you feel like that's how you wanna be of service, right? Um, yeah, but the idea that that is what's necessary and expected as even like kind of rite of passage, that's like a dinosaur sure. <laughs> thrashing around in the 
tar pits. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And it, it's sort of interesting when you tie it back to psychedelics, as far as like write a passage, you know, and uh, I'm a big fan of Joseph Campbell as well. And when he observes and writes about all, you know, a plethora of societies, you know, throughout time that have coming of age rituals and things of that nature that sort of introduce you into adulthood and, you know, sort of your working life. I think we're lacking of those sorts of things in today's Western world. Uh, and in substitute, I think a lot of college students look at getting that degree or sort of there could be something within us that's sort of looking for that gratification around that age, sort of that passageway into adulthood. And for many people, I think the way it's been framed to them is that that college degree is that opportunity is that ticket into, you know, sort of the rest of your life, yeah. uh, sort of the end of your childhood um, and sort of that, that phase of your life. So there's something to be said about how the lack of social tradition and rituals that we, that we're missing today are sort of just being substituted by a system where you're just spending a lot of money that you might not have to get a degree that isn't as worth as much as it used to be. Yeah, I mean, you just beautifully segued into, you know, um, back to the work that I'm committed to what I'm doing now. You know, back to Joseph Campbell, you know, the, the follow your bliss wasn't um, ignore growing up, ignore maturity, and just constantly follow your bliss. He meant follow your, your, your true um, motivations, you know, your true bliss, what makes you come alive. And that will lead you down the road that, and on the journey and, and the adventure, right, necessary to get the kind of education and knowledge that you want, that would be true contribution because you would be someone who's fully embodied, right? The education that you want. Something that I have said for years connected to that, um, I've been talking about so often is just what you brought up. One of the challenges and the uh, failures of Western society is the disconnection from nature. And with that, the disconnection from rites of passage, right? Um, the idea that at different stages of our life, there is ceremony and ritual that um, basically serves the purpose of the culture informing you on your journey that you have reached a particular plateau and we will now respond to you in a particular way. And along with that comes a new set of responsibilities. You know, um, where it most shows up to me, the blaring example is young men, you know, you go through puberty, suddenly there's testosterone and you are like almost biologically driven to flex your muscles and show the world that you come of age and that you can start participating, right? Well, what does the culture do? It's like graduate from high school and give you a set of car keys and you get drunk. Right? It's like, you're allowed to do these things now, right? Your next big rite of passage might be, as you mentioned, that you graduate from college. These are really empty rituals that don't prepare young men for adulthood at all. And the most destructive case of that is, you know, um, you join a gang, you know, you're looking for recognition. Here's a place where you can, you know, um, have position within the herd, you know, flex how strong you are, get um, validation from your peers, you know, yeah, yeah you, you use that testosterone in a destructive way. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I mean, you mentioned belonging to a tribe earlier, and I think this is very much in, in that same vein where the modern rituals are, are very sterile and, you know, they don't quite hit that satisfactory point in our, in our psyche mm -hmm. where with, uh, you know, let's take a gang, for instance, that's sort of a, a tribe that you can belong to. There could be rites of passage in there that, you know, whether they're illegal or whatever, uh, they're meaningful. Are, yeah, they're meaningful to your individual, you know, the perception of yourself. Right. Um, so 
to have that sort of tribe available to you to, to fit into a group, to be a part of, uh, gives people that outlet. And so it's, if that's one of the only options on the table, I think we're sort of more spiritually inclined to lean in that direction when, when available. Absolutely. You know, and here's the thing. So picking back to, um, psychedelics, but in my case, plant medicine work and ayahuasca. Um, I mean, I honestly felt like a, a really healthy society would, when a young person comes of age, whatever the agreed upon consensus of that is, let's say you graduate high school, hypothetically, sure. in addition to all the other amazing things, like, and you're going to go into uh, the forest for a week and you're going to do a ceremony with shamans and elders, right? Yep. And, um, and this will be your introduction to being in right relationship with plant medicines because we co-evolved with them. They're, they're going to be along for your journey. So we might as well introduce them to you in a way that is constructive and safe, not only for you, but for species, like for the you know, society. Um, and I know this to be true and not far out and crazy because over the last 25 years, I've met some absolutely incredible young people who that is exactly what happened. Somewhere between the ages of 18 and like their mid twenties, they got introduced to either peyote or ayahuasca, mushrooms by an elder in a ceremonial responsible context and it completely shifted everything, right? Yeah, and I feel like although the medicines quote aren't necessary, I'm not advocating that, the uh, availability of them Right. And the actual uh, rite of passage, authentic rite of passage is necessary. I believe so. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's the, like, in my mind, it's, it's something that's deeply ingrained in our, in our psyche is having those clear defining points of moving from one stage of life to the other. And so whether you consciously uh, go through a ritual or some sort of induction into that stage or unconsciously by accident, you know, perhaps like yourself, uh, sort of getting into an ayahuasca ceremony that had a little expectation for, had a massive uh, effect from, uh, yeah. you know, it's kind of like filling in that missing puzzle piece as far as that solid, rigid point of changing gears in life. Yeah, you know, here's what was crucial about that for me. Um, and I think it is for <clears throat> most people, particularly in the West. Um, in a lot of ways, and I am not somebody who is hating on America, you know, I'm grateful that we live here, particularly Absolutely. at the time that we're recording this, because there's a lot of unrest. And we we got to see this week how fragile democracy actually is, right? Um, and back when I did my first ceremony, I was doing a lot of spiritual work and seeking. And underneath all spiritual work is really this uh, grasping for authenticity. You want to know that there actually is something other than what you've been told. Is there anything to the idea of God? Is there anything to this, you know, woo-woo concept that we're all one? You know, is there a reality outside of the one that, you know, I'm seeing through my particular cultural lens? Well, you do a plant medicine ceremony, you know, or a psychedelic ceremony in the right context, and all of that is blown out of the water, right? And you realize like, whoa, you know, there is life is much bigger than I thought it was, right? I am connected way more than I thought I was. And um, there's infinite possibilities, not just the uh, very limited story, you know, that I have been given so far. And that was crucial for me. And I think it's crucial for Western culture for this reason. I believe, and I say this uh, 
you know, from the most loving place, you know, that um, capitalism has failed in the promise of making people happier and making life better. We're not talking about free market and capitalism conceptually. We're talking about as it has actually evolved and has, you know, the way it has, is practiced, right? What we actually have created is a culture that is lost in the spell of materialism. Yeah. Right. Absolutely in the spell of materialism and that we're being uh, either directly or subtly constantly taught that the answer to all of our woes is more stuff. Right? more success, more material success, buy the next gadget, you know, um, move up on the social ladder. None of these things are ultimately satisfying, right? And they stem from, you know, this idea that we are somehow separate from everything else, right? Like even now with the glooming, I'm sorry, the looming uh, global warming, you know, all the other environmental challenges, I was just reading an article this morning and they were sharing that one of the reasons people don't respond to that is because there is this kind of almost biological wiring that, um, yeah, that's happening, but it won't affect me. It's happening someplace over there. And I will actually be able to escape it like I'm clever enough, right? In our culture, there's this idea that, you know, all these crazy things are happening out there in the world somewhere. And we threw, I think, the spell of materialism, you know, and this disconnect have this idea that um, those are other people in other places. It's like, well, you know, what's happening in the environment is affecting everybody, right? whether you live in the White House or uh, a shack in Peru, right? We're all going to be affected. So back to the plant medicine and rite of passage thing. The rite of passage, one, gives you a sense that you're connected to everything else, crucial. With that, there's a sense that you have a responsibility to not just yourself, right? And also that, yes, there is this... Um, more deeply satisfying way of living life that, um, yeah, free market and capitalism and stuff is great, right? But it's not what would make us happy and it certainly isn't what will save us. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the the religion of materialism is, you know, I think failing us every day. And it's hard to place blame because, you know, it's, it's what gives us the comfort of everyday life, you know, the technologies that we have. But on the other hand, you know, it's like the advertisements that, uh, you know, we're, we're bombarded with sort of sell mm -hmm. us a vision, sell us a, a lifestyle. And that's how they sell more products and continue to grow and develop and change the that's technology. That's literally unsustainable. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. And that's where it sort of comes back to right now. Uh, we're in sort of a, a unique time where people are, there's more of a movement now than ever before to re-examine sort of the, the framing that we've gotten from this materialist culture, you know, cause, mm -hmm. uh, and that's sort of where I, I find work like you do is very interesting where it's sort of like a supplement to that, uh, to that whole world of people exposing themselves to a new way of thinking or different plant medicines sort of reconnecting with nature. Uh, you know, there's this, uh, you know, sort of how can you augment that experience and ritualize it further to the point where there is an effect that uh, is substantial enough to sort of shake us out of the uh, feelings or the framing that we have mm -hmm. towards how we should live our lives and what will ultimately bring us satisfaction. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, I work with a lot of young people and one of the things uh, a few of them have said 
that are exploring alternative points of view, as they call it, like, you know, what QAnon is presenting and so forth. And one of the ideas they share with me is that um, they have been exposed to this idea that people on the left, I would say the far left, um, the result of their philosophy and politics is young people hating America, you know, and uh, which I understand. Right? But I think they're missing a point. It's not about young people hating America. It's about, as Cornel West said, our reckoning, right? It's about looking at what is your idea about America? Where did that concept come from? You know, as going back to Joseph Campbell, you know, where America is a mythology, right? It's a story, right? It's a particular agreed upon reality that we're all in and uh, conceptually beautiful, right? And, but struggling and still in the process of forming. And it's not about disliking, you know, American culture. It's about looking at it head on, right? Looking at what it's actually about, uh, what about it actually does work and doesn't work and its impact on the rest of the world, you know, until we really have that reckoning, right? We really look at like who we are as an imperial power you know, not just the story of we're here to police the rest of the world and bring democracy. You know, that really actually hasn't been our history. Um, getting back to what you're saying, what's happening now in the world is um, we're seeing a lot of people, uh, although I completely understand their frustration and anger and bitterness, in a lot of ways, what I just feel like is, look, people are starting to recognize the country and the culture for what it actually is. That's not a bad thing, right? And the country's moving on. It's like, Look, we recognize this is our past. Uh, we need to own that, right? We're going to be dealing with it for a while, but we also need to move into the future and have a government, for instance, that actually represents the people that live here. There is a group of people that are just hell bent no. <laughs> it's like, and what I realize is what they're attached to, going back to the work of Joseph Campbell, is their story. Like, no, this is a story that I've been fed. This is a story that I'm invested in, which it's synonymous with my identity and everything that you progressives are talking about is attacking that story, right? Um, so I understand that, I really do. And that's why I say, you know, the real work, although all of it is important, is going to be elevating and shifting consciousness, right? Sure, I mean, I, I see being able to break out of sort of the tribal left or right way of thinking, I think is right. is probably the, one of the biggest challenges we face today because people feel that we live in a very divided world or a very divided country um, where, you know, the more that I talk to people, the more I see that there's a very common level of understanding. It's only on the far fringes of either side that, uh, that you see a, you know, a, a serious divide. And that divide is it's in our faces because that's how the media works. That's how, you know, the news cycles work. But ultimately, like, you know, when you talk about the stories and the way that we view America, you know, I don't blame either side for, you know, their perception of reality and what they think we should do from there on, you know, whether you're on the right and you believe that, you know, America, you know, is this, you know, very, uh, I don't know, divine story. And you believe that, you know, everything is, you know, great. Uh, or if you're on the left and you've, uh, so, you know, there's sort of a new narrative that's arisen over the past few years of fixating on, uh, you know, some of like a lot of the, the awful things that have happened in the America right. and sort of what, whatever side you're on or wherever, whatever story you, you sort of, uh, attached to your identity. Uh, I don't blame either side. It's more so being able to rise above that and say, you know, 
and understand how anybody understands the other side without just right. assuming that they're all stupid, because that's sort of the unfortunate situation we're in today where the left believes the right is really stupid. The right believes the left is really stupid. Um, but then you go out and you talk to people, you know, if you can have a conversation, sort of avoid those very uh, hot areas on either fringe edge. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, you find that the similarities between all people, all Americans are, ex, you know, over, you know, 95% uh, similar. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, the work that I've done both as an artist and, you know, advocating, as I mentioned, you know, um, decriminalization of plant medicines, which includes, you know, rights of passage work and all of that. It brings me in contact with all kinds of people. And I have found what you said to be absolutely true, that most people, uh, there are certain issues that are hot button issues for them, you know, that they can really get riled up about. But for the most part, they share the same values, right? Yeah. They just have different approaches to how they like to see it done, you know, more conservative, more liberal. And the people that I've met that are on the extreme of either side have been really unpleasant, right? Yeah. And, right? And um, I think the idea that they have, which has been proven recently, the idea that the extremists on either side are going to be able to shift this culture and the government, like the way it is governed, right, is absurd, right? It's like neither of those are going to work, right? If you, you we have to find the place in the middle, right, where we can have dialogue and manage the various extremes on either side. Right? But neither one of those extremes who think they have figured it out and have the answers. So far, what we've seen is that every time they attempt anything, it ends in a relative disaster. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's I mean, what's concerning to me is and this sort of goes alongside the transition of our society towards like, a, you know, our, our media is disintegrated from sort of like one standard narrative that a few networks would commit to, to there's such a wide variety of outlets, whether independent or corporate, uh, to get your news, to get your information that you could take any given subject and you can find both sides of that coin, you know, and figure right. out, you know, there's two completely opposing belief sets on either side. And what, what sort of concerns me is the ratcheting up of that, uh, you know, sort of two-sidedness where, you know, it seems like each side is trying to sort of pull in one direction harder than the other, uh, you know, sort of pull it back and forth like a tug of war. And that's sort of amping up sort of the momentum of the pendulum where. Yeah. Which, you know, is really just a part of the age old, always successful divide and conquer strategy. Yeah. More yep. successful and insidious than ever because of the ubiquitous reach of media. Right. Yeah. And how controlled that is by, we'll just say people in control. <laughs> clarity of conversation and it's very easy to one thing they know is if you get us upset enough you know our kind of primal brain kicks in and now it's not about um the science or the issues it's really about emotions and yeah, it's fight or flight your amygdala yeah, is triggered that, that and... kicks in and then you can get people to as you know fight amongst themselves you know a lot of i forget who initially said this right it's been quoted so many times but you know it it's referring to a, a wealthy elite person who's power hungry saying something like, we don't need to control the people. All we need to do is get them to fight amongst themselves. Right? And we keep, we fall for it every friggin' time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's another huge benefit to being able to sort of uh, 
shake up your worldview, shake up your, your perception of reality. And, and, you know, above all what I, you know, common occurrence from any plant medicine experience, uh, you know, from my research and hearing other people's experiences and, uh, so forth is, you know, that sort of, uh, destruction of ego, the destruction of like, you know, what you're tied to is, as the beliefs that you hold, you know, being yeah. able to separate yourself from that and yeah. step back. Yeah, you nailed it. One of the big gifts of the uh, psychedelic and plant medicine work for psycho-spiritual work is what you just brought up. It can, for a period of time, kind of obliterate your ego or at least create enough space and distance that you become aware that it is not you, right? That you can actually step outside and look at it. And then you realize in that like, whoa, so much of what I have been buying into, how I'm leading my life, the choices that I'm making, they're all coming from this very rigid kind of algorithmic structure that just keeps feeding on itself, right? And you can actually step outside of that, right? And find your, your kind of authentic perception, you know, of reality. You know, I've often said that one of the things that plant medicine work does, in this case, particularly ayahuasca, is um, it slowly pulls you through the story of yourself and into the truth of yourself. Meaning it starts to slowly peel away all the conditioning and the ideas and stories that you've been taught or bought into. Hence again, knowledge <laughs> without uh, college. And, um, this authentic self, the observer of all that starts to emerge, right? And you can actually look at things, you know, like look at the world and say, whoa, wait a minute, that's not necessarily true. Like, or that's more true than I thought it was, or that person's not crazy. They actually have really valid ideas or, you know, oh, my parents were wrong. You know, like whatever it is, having a whole culture or tribe of people that do that together is really powerful right? The kind of conversations you can engage in with people when you're not coming from needing to preserve your ego or fight or flight are really profound, right? Because you can suddenly really listen, right? And you can hear authentically how reality is occurring for other people. Right? Yeah. It's that flexibility and that fluidity of, of mind to be able to, you know, not have your fight or flight response triggered when someone's saying something that would have previously you know, sort of conflicted with your worldview prevents that cognitive dissonance from, mm -hmm. from occurring, giving you that ability to listen, to hear, and to, uh, to attempt to understand other perspectives. Absolutely. You know, you, cognitive dissonance is huge, right? I think when we really understand um, the power of that and the effect that it has on all of us, you know, um, a lot of profound breakthroughs can happen, you know, because we're seeing a lot of that in the world, you know, even with this idea of like um, Joseph Campbell's work, you know, um, if you're deeply bought into a particular mythology or story, right, and then there is reality as it's actually playing out that contradicts that story pretty dramatically. For a lot of people, rather than just see that as new information that maybe might shed some light, it just causes cognitive dissonance and kind of puts us into a state well, each person is different. Like you say, it can move you into fight or flight, move you into, uh, you know, complete ambivalence and numbness, panic, you know, and yeah. fear, right? You basically yeah. see, see someone like they're, they're almost glitching when, you know, you're telling them something that, uh, exactly. you know, is conflicting with their worldview and, and they don't know how to integrate it into their, the way that they understand everything. 
Yeah, you know, and that's really a big challenge. And again, that's the beautiful, uh, the timing of the, what's being dubbed the psychedelic renaissance is uncanny, right? That it's showing up right at this time when, you know, mental illness from what I'm reading is running rampant, you know? In oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> forget right? just uh, for, forget just reading it, you know, just look around, exactly. walk down the street, you know, there's uh, very clear signs of mental illness, you know, sort of I really believe, you know, yeah, what you just said, a good friend of mine, Daniel Bresenoff from Long Beach, she once said this to me um, many years ago when we first met. He said, you know, when you're with somebody and you kind of get the sense that something's off, he goes, it is. <laughs> and what he's referring to is, we all have this ability to actually, when we're with other human beings, to detect subtly, like something's not quite right, right? But then this nothing, this something's not quite right becomes a new normal. And I think, you know, again, like once you kind of move yourself out of the dominant narrative of what normal is, and you're walking down the street, you suddenly realize what you just said. There's a lot of people that are not mentally well. It doesn't mean that they're sick or deranged or pathological. It's just they're not actually healthy, right? And again, I say that's part of the the result in the spell of materialism, you know, replacing sure. true authentic value and connection, you know? Um, yeah, it, it, so that's really fascinating to me, you know, that, that whole concept of cognitive dissonance being caused by a lack of connection and a a really strong adherence to a story or a set of information that suddenly gets challenged. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, you know, one thing that you, you mentioned earlier, which, you know, I think kind of flows into this as well is uh, it's that, you know, belongingness to a tribe and sort of, mm -hmm. it's not so much that I think people are, uh, it's something that's happening actively in their mind that that's causing sort of like, you know, widespread mental illness, uh, amongst a lot of people, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in 2021, it's, it's more so what's missing, you know, it's the, uh, it's that social cohesion. It's the stuff that we used to experience as part of the human experience that, you know, sort of elevates our mood, elevates our state being yeah, around which brings other people. Us, of course, to COVID, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. we're in a, we're in a world today where, you know, you're, I mean, the family unit has already gotten so small, you know, from the, over the past, you know, let's call it 50 years, you know, the average size of a family in the United States compared to like the developing world where people are still having, you know, five plus children per couple, right. uh, you know, like it, it creates a scenario where you're already belonging to a very small tribe. You're lucky to grow up in the United States today with maybe a couple of, you know, uh, aunts or uncles around in addition exactly. to your parents and maybe a few other cousins or something. But for the most part, the family unit is, could be, you know, as small as two to, you know, four or five people on average. And yeah. And with that, just to interject, uh, please sure. hold that thought. I've talked about this a lot too. There's this pressure from uh, a, a capitalist culture to encourage people to buy more stuff is the second you turn 18, what part of your right of passage is move away from home. Yes. Right? Like buy a separate place, buy all new separate everything. Yep. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's move away from home, move away from your parents, you know, and with, uh, you know, uh, transportation freedom, people also move uh, quite a distance away. I mean, I personally mm -hmm. live very far from, uh, you know, complete other corner of the country from my family. Right. Um, and it's a very common thing to do these days. And so you take that sort of situation where you're either one of maybe four or five in your family unit, there's very little 
sort of uh, social, there's not very many social groups that you can fit in. Uh, that's more of the, you know, let's call it the 20 to hundred group size range, you know, which I think people are much right. more accustomed to psychologically and evolutionarily. Um, and so you're either one of, you know, a few or you're one of, you know, whatever, uh, you know, a billion people on the internet here, you know, it's, yeah. it's, you know, very small parts of the group. You're either small family unit or, just a percentage of, uh, you know, social media users. Yeah, you, you brought together several streams that are all converging right now into, I think, the uh, escalation of what's being seen as kind of a, a national mental illness. And that's, you know, the quarantine from pandemic, you know, and the internet, our obsession with it and the obsession with self-aggrandizement you know, to some degree, looking at other people having amazing lives, they aren't, right? Yeah. And then, you know, how that you internalize that to mean something about you, but still having this drive to be part of a tribe, which you can't do in the quarantine, not necessarily, you know? And then um, with all of that, yeah, this being separated from tribe and family, right? And instead spending all of one's time, I think, and in particular, which has been talked a lot about, you find yourself because of the way media and internet is now set up and controlled in a particular sphere and bubble of information, right? So it's a very limited um, perception of reality that keeps getting fed back to you and reinforced over and over. That always leads to actually mental illness when you think about it, like yeah. historically, because that's the equivalent of like someone being locked in a room, you know, with no outside contact with human beings for a long period of time. We all know how that story always ends. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's it's what you do to the worst of the worst prisoners is you isolate them from the rest of the the inmates. You know, you give them yeah. solitary confinement. That's that's deemed like the worst thing you could do to somebody. So we're all experiencing that to some degree when you're on the internet because you're just another profile or you're just another person. And right. uh, you, especially if you don't have... Uh, you know, followers, or you're not really engaging much uh, with, you know, a, a group, uh, you know, mm -hmm. you're sort of, you're, you're cast out and you can be cast out very easily if that's, you know, one of the identities that you have to maintain is sort of your social profile presence. Whereas, exactly. you know, it can be misconstrued by so many different people. You can be called things behind, you know, you could be made fun of or harassed, you know, be while the harassers under the veil of anonymity or, they're just right. on the, you know, a different part of the country or something. Whereas I think we're or, hardwired. As you know, the new concept yeah. is canceled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you can get canceled by no fault of your own. You know, there's that story from a few years ago that uh, I think it was a CNN reporter or something. She tweeted something uh, that was a joke, but definitely, you know, maybe not a tasteful joke, but she gets on a plane, tweets it lands and her whole life has been destroyed by this one tweet that she made. And, right. um, and it's, you know, she had no chance to defend herself, you know, which I think we're, we're hardwired to as humans to be around other humans and like whatever your identity is within a group is, you know, you have the opportunity to defend yourself and defend your perspective live in person with other people where the Absolutely. internet is this like one way stream that just leads to, uh, you know, it could lead to you being canceled or isolated or cast off and exiled, you know, without any judge, jury or trial. Exactly. I mean, you know, we know this for sure, biologically, evolutionarily, human beings are social creatures, right? And our reality, I would say, you know, reality as a whole, like all reality on a grand scale, um, 
and we'll take it even the realm of like quantum physics, you know, what we're now starting to understand about that, that all reality is a feedback loop conversation, you know, that we're constantly in conversation with reality and then getting feedback from that. So, you know, there's one of the new kind of scientific theories is that, um, you know, well, the common one is that consciousness actually is primary after all, right? So within that, there's this idea that, you know, the mind isn't giving rise to consciousness, right? That consciousness gives rise to the mind and which came first, the chicken or the egg, you know? Yeah. So human beings as a reflection of that, one of the ways that we constantly engage with reality and have a sense of self is through conversation with other people, interaction, right? Picking up on direct interaction, language, and then social cues, like all the ways that we learn who we are in the context of people. So relative to what you're saying, if your only interaction with people for months at a time is via the internet, and on top of that, you're at quarantine, right? And like you said, only seeing two or three of the same people all the time, you know, that would have to lead to kind of a national dis-ease <laughs> of mental health. Right? Yeah, for yeah, sure. Because, yeah, and we're seeing that, right, with what's happening you know, in this great division, you know, the ability to live in a neighborhood or a community full of people with opposing views, but always to have this idea like, oh, I think Jackie down the street is crazy. Yeah, but she's also really sweet. She like took care of my dog when I, you know, we don't have those kind of interactions anymore. So instead you, I think you choose your tribe where there, let's say two extremes, a white supremacist tribe or an Antifa tribe, you know, and by Antifa, I don't mean anti fascist. I mean, like the way they're being perceived, right? Yeah. As yes. like this terrorist group. You choose that and like, well, this is a tribe. I'm going to adopt this tribe and I'm going to interact with them. And here are these chat rooms. And then now my consciousness is only in the feedback loop with other people who believe this same sorted reality that I do. Yeah. <laughs> right? And once again, I mean, I don't blame either one of those groups of the people that join those groups, because right. I think oftentimes it's probably an I don't believe it's a logical conclusion that they're coming to that they're like, I want to be a white supremacist or I want to join Antifa right. because of any sort of logical conclusion. I think it's more of like a, a social attraction to be a part of something and, you know, to, to have some sort of uh, to have a group you can belong with, you know, have some sort of sense of purpose. You know, if you're yeah. whatever side you're on, you know, there's you're surrounded by people that firmly believe in what they're doing. And if you're convicted, and in some cases, belief, you know, you literally, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, in no, some cases good. you literally uh, are taught and believe that the other side is threatening life. Right? Yes. They, yeah. They're literally threatening life as you know it, certainly your life. Right. So it becomes completely violence becomes justifiable, right? A complete radical intolerance becomes justifiable like let's say on the far uh, religious fundamentalist anything, the idea is like, well, this is a, our narrative and mythology is that this is still a biblical story of good and evil. Right? Yeah. So all the people over on that side, the other, all represent what our God has told us needs to be squashed, right? In order to save the souls of everybody. That's a really power to, powerful narrative that's the one we've all been living under, we're born into. And that's not going anywhere anytime soon. Right? Yeah, so, totally. So again, back to the plant medicine and psychedelic work, you know, reconnecting people to what actually matters, you know. Um, to people. 
reconnect yeah, to people. To, to people. I was going to say, I was going to say to nature, and you said it, people, right? That seeing that we are not separate from other people, that we are not separate from nature, that we are in reality not even separate from the cosmos, right? Um, through this conversation, when you really get that, not intellectually, right? Beyond that, but like a visceral, somatic, in the body experience of oneness back to the woo-woo of that, you know, when you really get it, all of a sudden everything shifts in reality, right? You can still be political and still join groups and, you know, argue really healthily about how to achieve this or that, but it's not coming from a pathological place, right? It's coming from a holistic place of, you know, hey, we're all in this together and if we don't get it together, there'll be none of us, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it sort of breaks down those walls. It breaks down that rigid structure of, of our minds to, you know, again, open up and sort of be, you know, more fluid with our belief systems to be able to understand other people. And, you know, until that happens, I, I you know, it's not looking good. So yeah, yeah <laughs> to, exactly. to, to shift focus to the future. I mean, um, where, where do you stand as far as, uh, um, you know, like, what do you think, could happen? What do you think should happen, um, you know, to expand this Renaissance? Do you fear sort of the, the contraction of the Renaissance anytime soon or sort of where? Well, where no, well, I think we just saw that. Um, so I always wear, wear these things very delicately because as you know, our language can be so misconstrued. Absolutely. Um, particularly in the times of divisiveness, you know, uh, I think I think the group of people or the shared consciousness that wants to con hold on to the past and constrain us from moving forward as a people and as a culture and a country, I, I tend to think that's what we just saw. And it got not defeated, but got um, subdued and kind of leveled out right? so that we can all again go back to doing this together. Um, so with that is the psychedelic renaissance. It is, has great momentum, as you know, uh, quote unquote drugs are being decriminalized, you know, um, all across the country. Um, there's now uh, approved psychedelic research for mushrooms, obviously MDMA, um, ayahuasca. Um, yeah, it's huge, right? And we're starting to see the actual benefits of returning to what was started in the 60s, you know, but uh, misunderstood, I think, um, the benefits for humankind of what I say is returning to our co-evolutionary partners, which are plants. Yeah. <laughs> they were here first and we you know, evolved together. So looking to the future, one, first, I think that's going to continue. I think that uh, plant medicine and uh, psychotherapeutic work with psychedelics is going to continue to have a positive impact, probably exponentially on the health of our country. And I think with that, we're going to see the basic things that have needed our attention for a while are going to continue to get our attention, which is, you know, well, you know, Elon Musk back there again, you know, I'm inspired by this idea, you know, um, there are things that we must do. One of them is overturn Citizens United, meaning the idea that corporations are people and are somehow not accountable, right? Through a shift in consciousness, that will shift, right? In an appropriate way. And as a lot of scientists would say, you know, there's 
a couple of things that are crucial for us to do. Uh, one is to tap into zero point energy, meaning an energy source that is sustainable and learning to control gravity. Those sounded like science fiction even a few years ago, but now this is what people are actually working on. Those are all consistent. I bring them up not as some like far out concepts, but when we're not battling with each other over silly things, like I'm a Democrat or Republican or whatever it is, our attention shifts to things that are actually about our species, not about our tribe. I feel like, to answer your question in full, the big shift that seems to be upon us that is being fought and is struggling to take hold is, which brings our whole conversation full circle, is moving from tribalism into a species consciousness. It's like, we need to start thinking about humanity as a whole, right? And to focus on the technologies that will allow us to continue, right, to evolve as a species. And um, I brought up a couple of them. And part of the, this is where I see my own input into that future, will be safe, responsible, and mature use of psychedelics and plant medicines, not only for like rites of passage and a sense of spiritual health and connection, um, but also to heal the trauma of uh, our past. It's, humans on this yeah. planet. Well, I, I uh, have a lot of faith in that as well. I, I see so much momentum in this space and uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see where that can lead, you know, again, sort Me of in, too. in line with Elon's thinking, you know, whether that's like, in my mind, it's like either we go to Mars or we don't go any, you know, <laughs> if we're going to have challenges on earth. So expanding yeah, you know, sort of that experience of humanity to. I agree, to, man. Yeah. And a lot of people have criticized him, you know, even people that I really love, like Paul Stamets and said, what the hell do you want to go to Mars for? Like, we need to focus on earth. I'm yeah. saying we got to do both. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think it's sort of one in the same in, in some yeah. respect. It's, it's, uh, you know, just being able to expand. And I think having, uh, just being able to anchor ourselves in, in a higher vision like that gives us a lot more constructive, it, it sort of uh, encourages a constructive way of living. That's like, hey, we have a goal. We have something that we really need to accomplish. Cause if you don't have that, uh, you know, the, if humans don't have an anchor point or something to work towards or strive towards, then that's where we end up in the situation we're at today. We're drowning in comfort and materials and uh, won't, yeah, you, you know, this is probably, I, I'm feeling like we're coming to a close. And this is the last thing I would want to share in the context sure. we're talking about. And I think in a lot of ways, it's the most important. A lot of the challenges we're facing right now, and the United States particularly, certainly in the world, is that we've lost our center. You know, a lot of people have talked about this. And as I looked at my own observation, not just adopting other people's ideas, this is what I find to be true. Our access point you know, our true north of what is right, what is wrong, what we value, right? And how we go about getting there. Our, and all of that is tied into our sense of self uh, respect. And again, going back to this idea of knowledge without college, it's like the most important thing we can give a next generation or our children is a, a, a center, right? Here is your moral center. Here is where you navigate the world from. Because if you don't have a sense of what that is, of what true north is, or where your boundaries are, you could end up anywhere. It's yep. what we're seeing, right? Totally. Right? So I feel like, you know, a lot of things we've talked about, and particularly with plant medicines, rites of passage, um, community ritual and ceremony, 
all, all of that to a large degree, the purpose of ceremony was to have cohesion in the tribe and the community. It was a place where you passed on the values and the cosmologies. It's where you gave a real strong visceral sense of this is your place in uh, this particular tribe, culture, society. This is what's expected of you. This is what we deem is un inappropriate. Um, I feel we've lost that to a large degree and that's the momentum and possible gift of the psychedelic renaissance is helping at least a lot of people, a percentage of them to get back to that center, whatever it is for them. Absolutely. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And, uh, and I think you nailed it there. And um, uh, overall, I mean, Tony, it's been really fascinating conversation. I've had a really great time Absolutely talking to you. I feel like we could talk for hours and hours. So, you know, we'll yeah. have to do this again sometime. For um, sure. For the audience out there, where should they find you online? Where should they Oh, uh, good question. So I have a website mainly just so when people ask me this question, it's my full name, uh, TonyMoss.me. So it's T-O-N-Y-M-O-S-S.me. And uh, I'm on Facebook as the same. And uh, my predominant presence in the world is really as an artist and musician. Um, but all of the things that we uh, talked about in this conversation, which again, think was really beautiful. Those are all the subjects that are interweaved into my work. Yeah. So thank you. And you have incredible work. I encourage everybody to check it out. And I really look forward to seeing what you do in the future. And, you know, for, for all of our sake, thank you for what you do. Thank you. And you too. Uh, take care, brother. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please hit the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at KWC pod on Instagram at knowledge without college podcast. You can find me Patrick Butler at Patrick Butler zero zero on Instagram and Twitter. I encourage you to send over any feedback you have. If there's any guests you'd like to hear on the show, any topics you'd want to hear discussed. I want to know about it. I want to hear your feedback and opinions. So please, Help me make this a better experience for you. And I look forward to hearing from you. Have an excellent day and thanks for listening.